Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 15, starting with verse 6. And the last time we looked at the three Roman trials that Jesus was facing in the world, we saw the three religious trials, and then Jesus goes, uh, eventually he's delivered by the religious leaders to Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate, Jesus is a political football. Uh, Pontius Pilate doesn't want to deal with him. He sends him to Herod because Jesus did a lot of his works in Galilee. I kind of snicker at the jurisdictional issues, being in law enforcement, and, and we deal with these as well. So he goes to Herod. Herod doesn't want anything to do with him. He just wanted to see a miracle. Jesus wasn't going to perform for him and, or do a magic trick. So Herod sends Jesus back to Pilate. So today we're going to see really the part of the scripture where Jesus is back in Pilate's purview or domain and what happens from there. But one of the things that Pilate says to Jesus, when Jesus now speaks about the truth, Pilate says, what is truth? What is truth? You know, it's a question that every person has to grapple with. What is truth for everyone sitting here? What's the truth? Who am I really? What do I portray myself to the world? What do I portray myself to people in the church? But what is really the truth about me? We have expressions, the truth hurts. You can't handle the truth. I can't handle the truth. Because the truth is a mirror that reflects accurately what we look like. It goes past the skin and the bones and it, it, it reaches deep into our soul. And if you're sitting here and you don't know the Lord, you have to ask yourself, what is truth? What happens when I die? Those kooky Christians who talk about heaven and the afterlife, are they right? What if they are right and I'm rejecting it? I'm going to talk about somebody who is big in the Christian worship scene and and the guy needs prayer, right? He's all of a sudden decided he's not a Christian, he's an atheist and, and he needs prayer. Because honestly, I don't think he was properly introduced to the truth. I think that he had this idea that he was a Christian because he was caught up in the community and and Christian worship, but I don't think he ever really had, uh, he gave his heart completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's my opinion. Again, I don't don't chastise the guy, but I say the guy needs prayer because he needs to see the truth. What is truth? Even as a believer in the church, do I really have a relationship with the Lord? And again, I, I can fool everybody here, but the Lord knows. The Lord knows. One thing I loved about the Left Behind movie is that um, the churches are empty, except the girl actually goes into one of the churches and the pastor's still there. And he says, I could preach it every Sunday, but it wasn't in my heart. That's frightening. That's scary. Do we really have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? It doesn't have to be a perfect relationship because, listen, he's perfect. He, He loves us. He provides for us. He forgives us. It's almost like being married to the perfect person and you're not. And that's our relationship with the Lord. We're going to let him down. We're going to mess up. But do we, do we desire him? Do we pray? Do we talk to him? Do we have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Jesus said, the truth will make you free. The truth of salvation. You see, when you're in the world and you're getting your degrees and you're, you're getting promotions, and I see this all the time, and you're getting the bigger house, and you, it's the rat race. And you're sometime, somewhere you're in your 50s and 60s and you've accumulated all this stuff. And then you still ask yourself, what's truth? 
What am I doing this for? And you still find that there's an emptiness inside because the Lord's not there. Jesus said the truth will make you free. Listen, I lived 20-something years as a heathen. I did it all. I did everything I wanted to do. And I was still empty inside. The truth was I was empty. I didn't have the Lord. See, we think that the Christianity and the rules and the Bible and the things that God says, it's so constraining. But the truth is, the truth, you want to know the truth? Can I tell you the truth? <laughs> the truth, somebody's got to record how many times I say truth today, and it's only the first few minutes. The truth is that our self-directed lives are the shackles, they're the chains that hold us into this, this, this life of bondage, and we're, yeah, I'm free. We're raising our hands, and there's chains hanging down. We just don't see them. Why does the truth make us free? Because when we're in Christ, it gives us the ability to be who we are. We don't have to be plastic anymore. We don't have to strive and do what the world does because God has already accepted us. He's already um, forgiven us for our sins. And that's where the true freedom begins. You can truly raise your hand and not have those shackles. So the truth, Jesus is right, will make you free. Salvation will free you from your sins, your self-directed life. And I'll tell you what, when we stand before God, we won't be standing before Him in judgment because Jesus already paid that price. So you are truly free. Amen. Let's jump in. John 18. I know we're in Mark, but we're going to go to John first. <laughs> it's just, it's this picture, you know, it's just, it's so, it's like, it's like art. You just take the different Gospels and you put them together in chronological, chronological order. It's just, it's beautiful. So John 18, 33, we're going to get back to Mark. It says, then Pilate, Pontius Pilate, entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself on this or did others tell you this about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. Now he's speaking about the Jewish leadership here. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. I believe, and I put my conjecture in here, I believe that Jesus was getting too close to the heart of Pontius Pilate. If you read about Pontius Pilate, he's an interesting character. He clawed his way to the top, and he found that when he got to the top, it wasn't what he thought it was going to be. He had political problems. He had... Um, People were second-guessing him. He had a, a tone that was too harsh with the people. So he, he's got these problems. You know, when you're at the top, you want to maintain that status. You know, when you talk to people about God, you can talk about witchcraft, you can talk about promotions, you can talk about anything you want in social settings, and everybody's fine. Start talking about the truth, the afterlife, Jesus Christ. I read body language, and people get visibly, it bothers them. They start to do things with their body, their, their facial, their countenance starts to change. And I believe that Pilate was no different. Here, he, he's in his, his fake world of, of governorship. 
And Jesus comes and interrupts that with the truth. And I find that the more people get involved with the world's political power base, they lose sense of all truth. You have to. You have to bow down and swear allegiance to the world's ideology. You know, we see this in Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? Right? Why do the people plot a vain thing? Why do the kings of the earth take counsel against the Lord and His anointed? Great Psalm. Real short, pithy, but it goes to show you the difference between God's kingdom and the world's kingdom. The world's kingdom is, is attenuating. It's going to disappear. It has to eventually acquiesce to the Lord's kingdom. And it's going to be no more. God will make a new heavens and a new earth. So if you're really putting all your eggs in this basket, in this earth, you're cheating yourself. And Pilate cheated himself. When the more you get caught up in the world's lies, you compromise to get more money, power, authority, prestige. And the truth becomes sacrifice. You have to lie to yourself. And I see this all the time. You have to justify your actions. You have to justify stepping on that person to get a promotion or those five people. You have to justify the things that you do and compromising your values so that you can get further in this world. And before you know it, you, you, stand in, you can't stand in the mirror anymore and look at yourself because you're constantly justifying. It's a horrible place to be. I'd rather have less. I'd rather have peace. I'd rather not make my mark on the world. But know that when I get to be with the Lord, I'd rather be comfortable with myself now and then go to be with the Lord and have him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on, come in. Hey, this look, it's beautiful in here. You know, a lot of really nice people, good food. I'm into that. See, Judas wanted to walk with Jesus, but he also wanted the world system. Solomon, <laughs> great movie, um, talked about last Wednesday in the, the Bible, uh, 1 Kings 4 and 5, he had God, abused God's blessing, immersed himself completely in the world and had to repent at the end, not because God said you have to repent, but because he was miserable. He talked about the wine, the women, the horses, the vineyards, the, the castles, the land, the prestige, the power, all that didn't make him happy. And I say this in a nice way. If you're sitting here and you're looking for that and you think that that's going to make you happy, it won't. You'll come back to me in 10 years or you'll remember what I said and you'll say, yeah, he's right, it didn't. You've got to have God in your life. You know, we, we go, we're really like walking corpses if we walk around in this life and we don't have the Spirit of God in us. We're devoid of things. And what happens is there's sensual pleasures that make us feel good for the moment, but it's fleeting, it's not lasting. Keep that in mind. Pontius Pilate, the more we talk about him, the more you see this. John 15, or excuse me, Mark 15, going back to Mark 15, verse 6. Now at the feast, Passover feast, right? A Passover feast, feast of unleavened bread. He, Pilate, was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them. This was probably to endear himself to the people because he was so harsh. This was his way of probably hoping to stay in power, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas. One of the other Gospels tells us that his name is actually Jesus Barabbas. Interesting. Who was chained with his fellow insurrectionists. They had committed murder in the insurrection. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd 
Real nice guys, really spiritual men, and I say that sarcastically. They stir up the crowd, they manipulate their minds so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. And Pilate answered and said to them again, what do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out, crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? And they cried out more exceedingly, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Last Sunday we looked at, well, we, I talked about three points. First point was that Jesus is delivered to Pilate. The second point is that Pilate attempts to free Jesus. Well, as you can see, that's not working out. And you might ask me, well, see, this is what I love to do. This is 2,000 years ago. But we can look at the political spectrum in our own New Jersey, 2015, and make some very interesting parallels. I want to do that with you so I could bring you back and you could kind of wash yourself in, in the setting, in, in what's going on at the time. If, if Pilate was such a tough guy, why didn't he just release Jesus? Well, there's three recorded incidents. I don't want to get into detail. It's secular history. It's in the encyclopedia. Sounds plausible. Three incidents of Pilate's heavy-handedness and the rebellion against him because of his heavy-handedness. Now, there's a fourth incident, and that's in Luke 13. Jesus actually speaks about an incident that was brought to his attention, or I think he brought to their attention, where Pilate killed some Galileans and took their blood, their shed blood, murdered, and he mixed it with his sacrifices, I guess, to his Roman God. So the Bible speaks about his bloodthirstiness and heavy-handedness, and also secular sources say the same thing. Pilate gets himself in trouble with the Roman government, with the emperor. What's your problem? How come there's always an insurrection? Why are we losing Roman soldiers? Why are they getting killed? Why, why, why? People are coming to me, write me letters, knock it off. And basically, Pilate is warned. So he's in a precarious position. His personality really hasn't changed, but he knows that he wants to hold on to governorship. Very simple. So he tries to marry an attempt to free Jesus with a sort of pardon or amnesty program. Now, if you know po politics, governors and presidents have the ability to a certain limitation to do amnesty programs to pardon, right? And it was no different here. Nothing's changed. We add another character to the mix, and that's Jesus Barabbas, who really was the insurrectionist. Remember, Jesus was accused of talking about blowing up the temple and all this kind of crazy stuff that he didn't say. However, Barabbas was an insurrectionist. He was a murderer. And we would use the word terrorist. He was a terrorist. I think in American culture, we understand this. So here's this guy that Pilate is trying to put the two of them together, thinking, well, Jesus is really kind of innocent, and, and they're delivering him because of envy. Well, surely they'll free Jesus and crucify Barabbas. It didn't work out the way he planned. You might ask me, that doesn't make sense. And I love to do this. I love painting myself into a corner and then explaining to you, because we've heard these questions. Why would Pilate even think that they would that they would go for his idea. Well, I've talked to many soldiers, especially recently, that have come back from Afghanistan and Iraq, and I'm like, you know, you're so different from their culture. Why do they trust you? You know, why do they tell you where the IEDs are? Why do they, you know, a lot of them do help out. And the answer is because the terrorists are, even though they're local, they're indigenous, right? They're in oftentimes the same villages. They're so sick that even those of the same faith don't want them around. So they'll go and they'll look for somebody else to free them from this, this, this scourge. Well, Barabbas was, who wants Barabbas around their children? 
Well, apparently these people did, <laughs> you know? And they probably thought, well, you know, he's going after the Romans, so yeah, he's doing us a favor. And there you have it. But Jesus Barabbas versus Jesus Christ. Jesus Barabbas was a fake, a fake Messiah. In other words, Barabbas means actually son of the father. Isn't that interesting? Son of the father. Right? He's the people's choice. He's the, the choice of the flesh. Jesus Christ is really the son of the father and really the Messiah and the savior. So you look at these two together and you might, I might ask the question, who would we choose? Well, gee, we're in church. You know, we worship Jesus. Of course, we would choose Jesus. Well, let's look at these two. And let's see where we fit into this whole scheme of things. Jesus Barabbas, everything that I read, he's a get-it-done-now type of guy. However, Jesus is more of a pray about it. Let's see what the Lord says. Let's take his input. Jesus Barabbas, violence is necessary. Jesus Christ, love conquers sin. You know what I find amazing is everything I've read about Dr. Martin Luther King, this guy, there was, I don't think there was any civil rights leader like him, since him. Here's a guy who took so much abuse, who went out there with, with the protesters and, and they received, they got beatings, uh, bitten by dogs, so much injustice. And he always taught his followers, love will conquer sin. I love that about him. He really took that principle and he married it to his work. And you know what's amazing? When the Americans, American culture started seeing this stuff on TV, it, it endeared him to them. And the whole country was like, this is wrong. Thus sparked the civil rights. Well, it was going on before that, but the civil rights movement really picked up a head of steam. The president, the Congress, a lot of people took notice. Because why? Because Dr. Martin Luther King was serious about love can conquer sin. He, he didn't get a reaction out of him. And what did it do? It did an incredible uh, thing, incredible fruit for the civil rights movement. Jesus Barabbas do it myself. Jesus Christ, go in the Lord's strength. Jesus Barabbas, act out violent passions. Jesus Christ, self-control and patience as much as possible. Talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus Barabbas, a life characterized by anger, fear, and instability. Jesus Christ, the peace that surpasses all understanding. So where do we fit in? Do we fit in more under the people's choice? or more under God's choice. Now, let me tell you something. If we're not seeking the Lord on a daily basis, it is, let me tell you something, it's hard to be a Christian, right? We read what it says in the Bible, what we should be, what we should look like. Without the Holy Spirit, without going to the Lord on a daily basis, it's really tough. And then we can find ourselves a week later, a month later, a year later, in a place that we don't want to be. What is truth? The truth is, I strayed away from God. God didn't move. He's, in, he's a constant in mathematics. He's a, at a fixed point. We have problems in our life. Later as Christians, we re, need to reevaluate the steps that we've taken and see where we've walked away from the Lord. Let me fill in a little bit more history and then um, we'll continue. Matthew 27, I'm not going to go there. Um, Pilate's wife came to him and said, have nothing to do with that just man, meaning Jesus. I've, I've been tormented many things in a dream because of him. Matthew 27 also records, probably as a result of that, Pontius Pilate, he's not making any headway with the crowds. So he figuratively, he washes his hands. He's basically saying, I'm innocent of this. This is on your head. I'm going to let it happen, the crucifixion, which was really a coward's way out. But if it was up to me completely, I wouldn't do this. Luke 23, Pilate at some point 
tries to have Jesus beaten by the soldiers and pretty much present him to the crowd as a bloody mess, hoping it would evoke sympathy. Okay, he got beat. They feel sorry for him. It's, these are his plans. They're all worldly plans. And, and of course, the crowd will, will say, no, let him go. And of course, that didn't happen. So let's continue on. If we could turn to John 19, starting with verse 8. A little further in the conversation here. So Pilate hears the, the complaints of the religious leaders and he's bothered by some of the stuff because they're basically saying, look, Jesus claimed to be uh, an insurrectionist and if you don't do something about him, we're going to tell Caesar, you're in trouble. So verse 8, it says, therefore, and that's a paraphrase, therefore when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And he went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus said, Jesus gave him no answer. And Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus, work with me here. You've got to answer my questions. Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. So Pilate has one last discussion with the Lord, and then he eventually gives in to popular opinion, and he sends him out to be crucified. Now, Jesus said, you would have no power unless it was given by God. You wonder what was going through Pilate's mind at the time. Again, his world, all of a sudden, his world got rocked. His bubble that he lived in, Somebody got through the defenses, and they're going towards his heart. And he doesn't know what to do. Here's a leader here, and he, he can't make a decision. He's an equivocator. You can almost see Pilate saying to Jesus, you're a mess. You're bleeding all over my praetorium. What position are you in to say these things to me? I think he, he, he had fear as well. He, he probably feared the Lord. How could he be saying these things? Jesus said, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. In other words, you have sinned, Pilate, and, but they have a greater sin. Was Jesus in any position to irritate Pilate with the truth? The truth is love. See, the Romans did have a sense of justice, but often it got clouded with money, politics, and, and influence. Not so different from our society. How much has changed in 2,000 years, right? We, I just read about another um, uh, New York State assembly person who is going to, going to go to jail for a long time because of corruption and, and he affected other people. And you see this stuff all the time. It's disgusting. But this type of absolute power corrupts absolutely. If you're not... See, same thing. Listen, Solomon had the Lord and he had all this power and he, he let it affect him. But the good news is at the end, he repented of all the stupidity and I believe he came back to the Lord. If somebody doesn't have the Lord, it's never enough. You're so powerful. You know, your license plate is different. The cars you drive, the seats that you get, you know, you, the, the camera's always in your face, the microphone, you have people to do your hair and your makeup, and you, you never go cold or hungry or, you know, anything like that. You're well taken care of. So think about that when you think about Pilate. You see, we can see the difference between Pilate and Jesus and how moored or how anchored they were to their ideals. 
Jesus says, I come to testify of the truth. Pilate says, what is truth? Brothers and sisters, where are our beliefs and our ideals in the worst of times? Where are they? See, the body of Christ doesn't need any more wishy-washy, disloyal, or sell-out Christians. It has enough of them. And quite frankly, it's poisoning the pool. Christians who decide when they want to be Christians and how they want to be Christians and not being concerned that when they're not doing the right thing, that they're not stumbling others or having a negative effect on them. Trust me, I'm tame. Vadi Boucham and Paul Washer, I got nothing on those two guys. <laughs> they're pretty good. But when we look at Pilate, we can't respect him because he capitulated to the crowd. He didn't do what was right. How many people know the difference between a true democracy and a true republic? <laughs> okay. We actually have a republic form of government. It's a representative form of government. A true democracy is a scary thing because if you say, we're in a democracy, check your books, you know, check your founding documents. A true democracy says that the 51% can rule over the 49%. Absolutely, with no checks and balances. It's a populist type of movement. And my concern is we, we have such weak leaders in our country that we're starting to see this take place. If enough voices are, are heard, things change. So again, the 51%, that's all you need, can have complete dominance over the 49%. And Pilate was allowing something that was a grave miscarriage, miscarriage of justice to go forth because of public pressure. Now, of course, this was all prophesied, but Pilate also had a free will choice, and Jesus said he had sin. He did choose this. The Bible knew what was going to happen. That's a mind twister in itself, that foresight, right? But Pilate also had sin. Now, going back to Mark 15, in verse 14, Pilate tries to reason with the crowd. Here's Pilate, an unbeliever, arguing, think about this, with religious people, about why Jesus shouldn't be crucified. You know, one of the major complaints that people have about the church and Christians is that they're uncompassionate, that they don't care, that they're just into themselves. And I think we've seen over 2,000 years, sadly, a form of Christianity that's haughty, that's prideful, that's downright mean and a poor witness. So here you got a, a guy who's a worldly guy. I, believe me, I'm, trust me, let me just say this for the record. I'm not sticking up for Pilate. I'm just presenting the facts. But here's a worldly guy having compassion, maybe it's a rare moment, where the crowd, motivated by religious men, are bloodthirsty. So when we, when we talk about um, the complaints people have in Christianity, they just want my money, this one's up here too. This one's up here too. Verse 10, it's even worse, that the religious leaders did this because of envy or jealousy. Envy or jealousy. That is really an ugly sin in the church. If you really think about it, envy and jealousy is a lot of the impetus for a violation of all the Ten Commandments. Well, what about the first few towards God? Very simple. I'm so jealous about what somebody else has and God's not doing it, so I'm going to move my loyalties elsewhere. Right? So you look at all Ten Commandments, and it's very easy to see how envy and jealousy in the church... i got news for you. Some days I probably bore you. Some days I, I make mistakes and Pastor Paul's got to change it. Listen, i just got to be real. I'm not perfect. There's a lot better pastors out there. They have a lot better gifts. What they do with the worship team, if I started singing, I'd clear this place out. You know what I'm saying? So the beauty is that you can't have jealousy. We've got to enjoy that someone else is different from us and has different gifts, you know, instead of trying to take them out because you want that. That's just wrong. 
verse 16. And I've just seen it so many times in the church, and it's not in the aggregate church, and it's just not pretty. Verse 16, the last few verses. Then the soldiers led him, Jesus, away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, and they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with the reed and spat on him, bowing the knee, and they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. Want to know what power is? Jesus could have stopped that at any moment. He could have went flick and knocked them all down. He endured it because of you and I. He went through this horrible treatment. This is, the, this is God, perfect, sinless, in heaven, comes down, takes the form of his creation, right? And gets abused by his creation. They spurn his love advances for salvation and go to the point of cruelty, and he takes it because he's got to get to that cross for you and for me. For you sitting in the middle row, for you up there in the balcony, for you sitting in the front, for me. That's why he went to the cross. He took it. He took the abuse. That's power. That he could have stopped it, but he didn't. So Jesus is mocked, the third point. Galatians 6-7 says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Imagine what those soldiers are enduring right now. The ones that hadn't repented. Some of them did come to faith but probably the most didn't. You know, Christians get so tweaked. We get so tweaked about hearing somebody who's an atheist, and, you know, I, I just see this stuff, like, seriously. You know, if you're in a chat room and you're arguing with atheists and you're calling them names and stuff, don't think that they're going to come to Christ. They're just going to be more entrenched in their position. We get so upset over the silliest things. You know, I, I would just do this. Somebody's mocking God. I usually smirk, and I say, you take your pulse. What are you doing? You're still alive. That just proves that God is merciful and long-suffering, you know? You just prove that God is a long... Oh, I said, say it, say it again, you know what I'm saying? You just prove that God is a merciful and long-suffering God. Grace and love are going to win more than getting upset, you know? Jesus is coming, and not one person will escape if they're not under the blood of Jesus. Now, the soldiers gave him a few things. Number one, they gave him a crown of thorns. That's interesting because... Thorns came about in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned against God. Everything was wonderful, lush, beautiful, perfect. You know, must have been amazing. But sin changed all that. It, it marred the creation. And thorns and thistles and, and you know, tilling the ground, all that now was the order of the day to produce fruit. You think, they, well, we're in America. We don't have to, you don't think we, we don't have to deal with this stuff? You know what they're doing? They're modifying our food genetically. They're doing a lot of things. They're over-pesticiding what we eat. They're making us sick. Why? Because of this. Because you can't feed the amount of people on the planet with the resources that we have. So you've got to keep changing the food. You've got to mess with their DNA. You've got to pesticide. You've got to, you know, the GMOs, all that stuff. So you don't think we're, affecting, we're affected negatively? Why is it that we have so much technology and stuff and somebody from a fishing village in a remote country lives to be 100 in good health and they still can till the land and we're dying in our 70s? Because we're, we're dealing with the results of sin and it's affecting us in a different way that it affects everybody else. So Jesus, is, he's got this crown of thorns and they're, they're hitting him on the head and it's digging into uh, his skin and, and causing massive blood. 
I actually have on our property, we have pyracantha. I tell you, when you bump into those things by mistake, they, they pierce right through your skin. So this is what's going on. Now, they salute him, they bow the knee and worship him, but understand it's all in mockery. Now, Revelation 19 and Philippians 2 is very clear that one day this will happen for real. Revelation 19 says the door of heaven will open up and the Lord Jesus will come. He has a robe that's dipped in blood. He has multiple crowns. He has white hair. Um, and he's riding on a white horse and he's coming down in, this, in the, really the second coming. Philippians 2 says about one day that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow to the Lord. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord. He's God. So we can do it. Now, I, I choose to do it out of adoration. I really love the Lord. I'm not doing this because he's threatening me every night. You better do this and work for me. I do it because I'm appreciative of what he's done for me. That's called adoration. But one day, we will do it. Those that don't know the Lord will do it in, out of obligation. They'll be forced to do it. This is God's creation. He can make the rules as he sees fit. He's a loving God, but one day the age of grace will run out. After all this, I have two questions. Number one, or two points. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He came down from heaven. And he didn't mix well with everybody because everybody was entrenched in the world system. You know, as believers, when we swear our allegiance and we change it from the world to the Lord's kingdom, we still live here. You know, I enjoy comforts of home, and I, I, like, I like home. I'm a creature of habit. But I know that this is a temporary dwelling for me. Your mindset changes. Your attitude changes. So we switch our allegiance as Jesus had switched. Well, Jesus always had an allegiance to heaven. But we switch our allegiance to the kingdom of heaven. Now, does my lifestyle, what is truth? Christians, does my lifestyle reflect that I really am swearing allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom? How does it look to others? And you know, this morning, especially the youth, the teens are sitting in service this morning because we're partaking of communion. It's okay to be different, right? It's okay to be different. I know with young people, they try to find their way. You know, there's even a song that's called, I want to be like the cool kids. It's a kind of silly song. It's just so repetitive. But the cool kids, they seem to fit in. It's part of the uh, lyrics. Kids, young people, if you're odd, it's okay. I'm odd, all right? The Lord loves our oddities. He knows probably some of those things that he kind of ingrained in us so that we would be unique and different. I would prefer young people to be part of the king's kids than the cool kids. Because you know what? Cool is fleeting. What was cool 10 years ago is not cool today. Styles change. Hairdos change. Sometimes we laugh. We look at pictures of when we grew up and our family members, right? Who would ever wear that, right? So what was cool back then is way different now. It's probably uncool. King's kids. Don't worry about being the cool kids. A lot of times, too, especially with the youth, they follow a, a, an alpha leader who is into bad stuff, and a lot of people end up fall, following them off the cliff. Second point, Jesus came to testify of the truth, but Pilate questioned if there was such a thing. I ask you this morning, what do you think of the truth? Is there a truth? See, we live in an age of moral relativism, pluralism. They're all big words for my truth, your truth, what's true for me is not true for you. Listen, that never works in mathematics and science. Why do we apply it to spiritual things? 
You build the plane the way you want to. I'll build the way I want to. I ain't putting my family on that plane. You know what I'm saying? There's a truth. There's engineering. There's electronics. There's mathematics. And things have to be precise. When it comes to truth, truth, the definition is reality, actuality, what actually is. Not what somebody perceives. Perception is not reality when it comes to truth. Well, I think I saw that. Well, was it really? Or were your eyes deceived? Right? I want to read to you because, listen, I, want, I, want to, I grew up in a religion, a Christian religion, and I didn't live. I didn't have a relationship with the Lord. As I got over, older, I just kind of picked up a whole bunch of religious books, and you know, I, wanted to, I was looking for the truth. I didn't want to switch from one to another because they had a prettier church or they, you know, they didn't bother me as much or the, the expectations were lower. I wanted to find the truth because it was the truth. <laughs> I'm reading this article. I actually feel bad for the guy. Let me say that for the beginning. The Newsboys, popular, famous Christian band by George Perdikas. He actually put a, a guest article in here and he's got a big smile with his sunglasses. Life is good, man. I'm an atheist now. He said, I co-founded one of the most popular Christian rock bands ever, and now I'm an atheist. As I read his testimony, I, don't, I think he was immersed in the Christian community, but I don't think he ever gave his heart to the Lord. So I believe that there's hope for him. He says this one thing. I'm going to read it to you. He says, the Christian music scene is populated by many people who act as though they have a hotline to a God who supplies them with the answers to the universe. There seems to be more ego and narcissism amongst Christian musicians than their secular counterparts. Can I tell you something? I agree with that word for word. I know a lot in the, in the Christian genre, and it's... You know what I love about Pastor Paul? He comes up here. One day he's just upbeat. The other day he's asking us to be reverent. And it's not a focus. That's the way worship should be. It should bring us into the presence of the Lord. Not to make us feel like if we don't act like those up here then we're less than. And that's what freaks people out about Christianity. You see, what is truth? It gives us the ability to be ourselves, not plastic. We live in a plastic society, and a lot of Christianity is becoming plastic. Be yourself. Listen, I'm an odd duck when it comes to you know, pastoring and even sometimes in the Calvary movement. Just be yourself. You know, Rules, I say this a bunch of times, rules can't help us. You go into a church and, and, and there's a, we don't even have those. We just say, well, do what the Bible says. All these rules, dress this way, look this way, act this way, say this phrase when somebody says that, that's your response. That's impossible. You see, I tell people, you're struggling with your walk, you're, you're, you're feeling hypocritical, go back into the Bible, go pray, ask the Lord for help. See, the more you do, the more you get involved with the Lord, the deeper your relationship with Him, all those other things will work themselves out. We try to do it reverse. We go to a church and we're forced to do this and we're forced to do that. It doesn't work, brothers and sisters. This isn't, church isn't a list of don't do's. It's a list of one do. And that means have a greater relationship with your Lord Jesus. And you'll find that the don't do list works itself out over time. Isn't that amazing? We keep hitting it from the wrong side. We keep tackling it from the wrong end. We're putting the cart before the horse. I don't want anybody to come in here. Listen, if you've got to break down and cry, break down and cry. Somebody will take you aside and pray with you. If you're having a bad day, have a bad day. If you're angry, don't sit too close to other people. You know what I'm saying? There's a solution to everything. There really is. <laughs> well, 
Do we want the truth? Do we want the truth? How has your truth as a believer, the only truth, the truth of God's word, changed your life? It should have. If, you're, if, if, you've been a, if you're a Christian a week, don't sweat it. and Just give it some time. The other thing that I want to say is, if you came here not knowing much about God, do you want to receive the truth before you leave this building? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.